in the gospel community spectrum, we talked about ignorance, and now we're talking about awareness. Unpack that a little bit for us. Well, I think there's three words that, or three concepts that go along with awareness. One is a, just a genuine concern that you have for brothers and sisters of color, uh, an awareness as a part of that concern that, uh, that they can experience certain things differently. They have a different history than we do and that shapes present reality. So that's one thing. A second thing uh, is going to be an appreciation um, for the different cultures and not ever wanting everybody just to assimilate into your culture, but realizing that God created us different as, a, as this, you know, beautiful kind of spectrum that, that in heaven we're going to be people of every tribe and tongue. And, and uh, we begin to desire that as a reflection of God's glory. And then the third thing is just starting to have a real teachable spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, where you, I mean, you know, the book of James says, be quick to speak, quick to hear, sorry, slow to speak. Slow to speak. Yeah. If there were ever a context for All us right. to apply that in, it would be in this one because I, you know, especially in the majority culture, um, I want to understand and I want to be able to hear from you. And, and that's like this common theme in, in this process is it takes these relationships, the Holy Spirit through these relationships to to be able to bring us to this. Let me actually turn the question on you, if I could, though. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you were expecting that. I wasn't. So, go, go for um, it. As someone in the so-called minority um, culture here, what, is, like, what does awareness mean for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the last time I talked to you about ignorance. I was like, as a minority, we don't have the, the privilege of kind of being ignorant because we were born into those things. But I mean, I was saying that kind of more in the general um, understanding of as a minority, we are reminded that we're the majority culture. But I think we do have, there are a lot of things that we have to become more aware. And I think as we talk about awareness, that is a critical facet that we, that we all come in. Like one of the things that we talk about at, at, our, at our church is that we seek to understand before trying to be understood, hmm. you know? And I think we have to come in with that posture as a learning and teachable spirit and being able to learn because, you know, because as a lot of times as a minority, we can come in as like, let me teach you everything about, that you need to know about race, you know, and especially as I'm dealing with the majority culture, but even as I'm dealing with other minorities, we, we do it, we're talking a lot about white, black issues, right. but really, you know, we recognize that we, this can be Asian, black, this right. can be, I mean, the, the tension between the different races and the different minorities and how we relate to one another, there's lots for us to learn right. and to get more aware of. Well, can I, can I, can I touch the third rail real quick? Yeah, yeah well, the third All right, the third rail, rail is 81% of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, many of them did it reluctantly, mm -hmm. felt like there's no good options, but at the end of the day, that they punched the ticket for him. 88% I read of African-American evangelicals voted for Hillary, or at least church-going African-Americans. Mm -hmm. um, what does awareness look like, you know, in, in that conversation? Because we're talking about a pretty wide divide there. Yeah. No, I, I think it's really important for us to, to recognize that tension, right? Mm -hmm. What's interesting about it, we have a couple at our church that talks about this idea of awareness and being aware. She said, Dahadi, I just remember growing up, it's an interracial couple. Growing up, I don't remember, this is the, a, a white woman, Growing up, I don't ever remember talking about race. I, I probably less than 10 times that right. I ever talked about race growing up. It is now that I'm married to my husband, which is a minority African-American, she says, I don't remember less than 10 times going and being a part of his family well, where it's not help. brought up. Right. And, and that's when I was just like, man, right. this is why oftentimes many people from the white culture or majority culture say, why we keep on bringing this up? Why, we, right. why is this always an issue? And the minority culture is like, 
Well, yeah, we never could, talk about this. If I, could, if I could throw something out that I've tried to encourage our church with is that, you know, it's okay in the body of Christ to have a different perspective on the best way to change the situation. Right. In Jesus' disciples, you know, I love this. Um, you've got, uh, you know, it says that one of them was called um, Simon the Zealot and mm-hmm. Matthew the tax collector. Right. Now, yeah. you got two guys on the opposite side right. of the most important yeah. political issue of the day, which was, what do you do about Rome's occupation? Right. Mm-hmm. And Matthew's like, well, you just got to participate with him, and he collected the taxes for him. Then you got Simon, who's like, we're going to get together an army, and we're going to throw those bums out. Right. right. So I imagine that sitting around the campfire, they had some pretty incendiary conversations, mm-hmm. you know, as they talked about which one was right. And I, I kind of picture Jesus just sort of over on the side laughing, you know, as they're giving their debates and everything. But at the end of the day, they had more unity in what they agreed on in Christ than they did differences in what the best, best political yeah. strategy was. And, and what's interesting about that is they would have multiple types of conversations like that. And they obviously had to have those things. It's the different perspectives and where they're from, how they were raised, those things. But as you kind of trace back and, you know, through the book of Acts and as they begin to address these things in reality, in real form, and even as we talk about in Galatians, right, the idea of that we had to hit on, like, this idea of circumcision. That was something that was very important. Right. Because that, that was the big thing, really, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about the idea that you need to be circumcised, right? So in, Acts, in Peter, in Acts chapter 10, when he talked about this idea, I think that's really important to recognize that we were addressing something that was at the core of what you are, that makes you Christian or makes you right. a God follower. I like to relate a lot of times, let me see how you think about this, to the idea of what we relate to with quiet times. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like if you take away, if you, someone came and says, you don't have to do a quiet time in order to be Christian. I mean, evangelicals all across the world would just take, right. go up in arms exactly. if we just remove that away. So if that's the tension, and so you have this right. person, you have Peter who's wrestling with this, and that's why he had to be put in a trance. That's why he had to be made aware. To be brought, and, it, right. and then it was the community that kind of created some of those blind spots right. so that we could appreciate the other cultures, so we could appreciate and value and have genuine concern, and we could be teachable you know, in all the different vantage points. So well, let me ask you a question, because one of our African-American pastors at church, he says, you know, a lot of times um, we at our church, Summit Church, we like to talk about diversity. He says, when I think we ought to be talking more about reconciliation, because reconciliation is necessary to diversity, yep. and reconciliation is built on repentance, and repentance is built on acknowledgement and confession of wrong. Yeah. So let me ask you, for many in the white community, an obstacle to that is saying, I'm not really sure what I need to repent of. Mm-hmm. Because I deplore slavery, I deplore the Jim Crow laws, but you know what, I wasn't right. alive then. Right. So what, um, you know, what, what, how, what do I repent of? How, how would you answer that? Well, I mean, the first words, you know, when you talk about in the gospel, when Jesus' ministry started in um, Matthew 4, 17, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so when I talk about all the times that the Christian life is marked Mm -hmm. with repentance. So we got to always be in the practice of understanding that we are called to repent. But when I talk about that word repent, a lot of times we just talk about kind of repenting from there's just a sin or repenting from I've done something wrong, whether it be personally or corporately. But the Greek word kind of repent is metanoia, which basically means that you need to change. It's a change. It's at the very core of that word. So when I talk about repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying this idea that repent, God's kingdom, 
that we need to look at or change the way we see God's kingdom. And I think when you get into Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount five, six and seven, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are, he's saying this is a new way to see God's community. And it's a community where we are giving dignity I'm sorry, not giving dignity, affirming the dignity that God has had, which oftentimes when we're insecure or oftentimes in a lot of ways, we want to rob people of dignity to make ourselves feel good. Or we want, and so there's many things that we got to repent, but we also got to repent from some of the systems and the structures that are coming, that, that are perpetuating. Right. Because a lot of times I don't think we're answering the question right. right? right. We ask is what do I need to repent of? But the question oftentimes is, what are some of the things that you're doing that's perpetuating the systems that currently that we currently live in? Yeah, and if I could just add a couple of things, I think that's that's actually very just like the kingdom being and our posture being repentance. The things that I would add there is, well, of course, in one sense, it is true. I mean, you know, uh, the son's not held responsible for the sins of the father, but in another sense, in the Bible, we do see a corporate responsibility. Yeah. Daniel, Daniel chapter nine, he repents of sins that Israel's committed that he didn't personally do. And so, yes, I'm a part of a nation that has its sins and I want to lament those sins and right. repent of them. I can also lament, which I think is another key word, the structures and injustices that have created, even though I may not have been the ones that are creating them, it created, as we've talked about, you know, um, certain structures and stereotypes that have benefited some of us more than others. And I could lament, you know, this you know, being that. I think another element is what we talked about last, you know, um, time with justice, mm -hmm. that if we begin to see justice as not merely just being fair and, you know, pulling down the right. oppressor, but we also see lifting up the oppressed, I can lament the fact and repent of the fact that I have um, taken the privileges and the prosperity that I've been given, and instead of using it to help lift up those who don't have access to those same privileges, I've turned it all back on, on myself and my right. family. And I think that's something that we ought to repent of. And so I think getting really clear on that to say, no, you're not repenting of you know, owning slaves because that wasn't you. You're not repenting of Jim Crow laws, but you are lamenting the situation they created and identifying the brothers. You are repenting corporately because of our society, and you're also repenting of not leveraging the prosperity and the privilege to, to be able to lift up others so they enjoy it like you are. You have, I think that's key in being able to move us toward reconciliation, right. which is really gonna be necessary in the awareness stage to move us to, yeah. to, to diversity. I think you hit it on the head. And I think it's really important to recognize, Tim Keller talks about, not only do we need to repent of the bad things that we do, mm -hmm. but we need to repent of the reasons why we do the good things. Mm. And I think tying that into the idea of when you are a person of privilege or any, any spectrum, that we're not creating charity, you know, but we are affirming the dignity that God right. has given us. And so oftentimes we gotta repent of our superiority complex. And in, in, in as we are right. addressing that, let me go help the poor, whatever. All right, now I had a question just popped in my head and I'm gonna go throw it out to you. And then um, this really helps some of the white, um, Christians at our church, let me ask this. As a black man, have, how have you experienced privilege? Oh, how have I experienced privilege? Yeah. I, mean, I think there's a lot of things, and I've, you know, I've, we actually have a lot of debates right. about this. Can you be privileged? But I mean, I was raised the son of a pro football player. My yeah. dad played professional football, and I remember going into the stores, I mean, get what you want. I remember living, never not asking for what to eat, or right. like not having to worry about a lot of those things that, that, that happens. But, but I also recognize because my family, my dad was first generation kind of grads. My, my parents were the first people to graduate from college and, wow. and all that. But what was interesting about that was as soon as my dad's football career was over, I was on the other side. 
huh. right? I was on welfare, huh. you know, like immediately. And so I, I saw both spectrums right. and both kind of like the vantage points of each side and just and so I think that that's what was is a critical thing for right. us to recognize and understand that and just in a part of my experience right well yeah and some of our um some, some of my white uh brothers and sisters at our church have said that when they recognized that privilege was not something unique to race stuff it was I mean you know there's tall privilege mm -hmm. there's having a deep baritone voice people take you more seriously in your authority privilege he said there's um yeah, george yancey said he said privilege exists all over the place mm -hmm. he says it's just in this particular you know forum there is there's sometimes that a, a privilege we're blind to just because of the community we're born in the society we were born in that we have advantages and the point is not to tear down your privilege the point is to let all people of every kind and every yeah. race in the United States experience the same privileges that one of us enjoy, we want all of us to enjoy. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's a great way to kind of wrap this up. And as we move kind of from the gospel community spectrum from this idea of awareness, and now we move to intentionality, it's important for us to recognize this. And Brian Lewis, one of our good friends, another pastor says this, that it's not primarily about privilege because we all have privilege, especially right. if we're born in America, but it's a matter, it's a matter of stewardship. That's a, that's and a, as we move into the question is, is how do we steward mm -hmm. kind of our privilege? Privilege, no matter where that may come that's from. That's good. That's great.